wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to this episode of Bleeding Daylight. Please remember there are many more episodes at bleedingdaylight.net. Please connect with Bleeding Daylight on social media. What do you do when the lines are blurred between what's socially acceptable and sometimes even celebrated and what can be called an addiction? Today's guest has an answer for those who feel trapped. It's been called a social lubricant, a way to unwind after a long day or even something that gets the party started. But for many people, alcohol is a daily battle. Sometimes it's an obvious struggle, but many times alcohol use disorder is a source of shame. It's hidden from even those closest to the one facing the battle. Katie Lane struggled with alcohol use disorder for almost 10 years, cycling in and out of periods of heavy drinking and quitting alcohol. These days, she is free of its grip on her life and helping others to break free. It's a pleasure to welcome her to Bleeding Daylight. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, honoured to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I know that you're very keen to share the treatment that you discovered so that others can find the help that they need. But first, tell me a little bit about your relationship with alcohol and where it began. In the United States, our legal drinking age is 21. And I remember when I turned 21, I really didn't like to drink alcohol. I remember at my 21st birthday, people were buying me drinks and I was giving them away because I was just sipping on a beer here and there and hated the feeling of being drunk, hated being hungover, really just didn't care about alcohol. And that kind of kept me in the mindset that, oh, I will never have a problem with alcohol. Like that's just something that won't impact me, even though it definitely is something that runs in my family. What happened for me is I progressed into my 20s is I started to really, quote unquote, party more and drink more regularly and binge drink and just kind of believed it was a phase I was going through. And once I got a little bit older, I would kind of rein it in, so to speak, you know, not drink as much. What happened for me was after a few years of really heavy drinking, kind of naively thinking that I was invincible to developing an alcohol dependence, I became addicted. And I I realized that when I remember it so clearly, I was sitting on the beach. I live in California, sitting on the beach one day, I always brought drinks to the beach. And I was like, when was the last time that I haven't had a drink? Like I couldn't remember the last alcohol-free day that I had had. It had been over a year and that kind of scared me. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a week-long break from drinking. And I remember that week being just the most difficult experience for me because all I wanted to do was drink. I was fighting cravings every single day and just counting down the days until the week was over and I could finally drink again. And that's when I realized, oh no, this is uh, more than a phase and I, I think I'm hooked. And that's really where I started the cycle of trying to quit and then returning to drinking over and over again for several years. It's interesting that you talk about getting that taste for alcohol, even though at first you weren't all that interested. Do you think that was about the taste or was it because it was socially acceptable that you forced yourself to to enjoy the taste of alcohol? You know, that's a good question. 
I think it largely did have to do with the people I was associating with and the environments I was in. And not to blame those people at all. I was an adult and I take full responsibility. But I think I was just extremely naive to how addictive alcohol was. And the fact that even if I didn't want to become addicted, and I didn't think that I would, that it didn't mean that I was invincible to it. Um, And that really what I've learned is that anyone with enough repeated drinking can develop an alcohol use disorder. And so for me, you know, I was really associating with people who were really heavy drinkers, uh, people I was hanging out with on a, a daily basis. In particular, a man I was dating at the time, he he enjoyed drinking daily. And I remember thinking, like, you want to drink right now? Like, you know, we just drank yesterday. And but to kind of like bond with him and have something in common, I would pick up drinks and kind of join the party. And then before I knew it, I was the one initiating the drinking and it really become my own habit. I do think it had a lot to do with the environment and the people that I was hanging around combined with me just being naive to how uh, addictive alcohol is. So after that week where you discovered, yep, I'm really hooked and I need to do something about it, What were the first efforts that you tried to say, I need to get clean from this? Well, my first efforts were like that seven-day break. That was kind of my attempt at these different patterns or or just methods, if you will, of me thinking, okay, maybe if I just take a break from drinking, it will help to reset my habits. And so I was constantly taking these breaks, whether it was like, okay, I'm not going to drink Monday through Thursday, or I'm going to take a 30-day break, or I'm just going to take two days off. I was always trying to have chunks of alcohol-free time, thinking that that would help to reset my habits, which it did not. Now I know there's actually a well-researched phenomenon that um, proves there's a thing called the alcohol deprivation effect where you can actually crave alcohol more if you abstain from it once you're addicted. That was one thing I did. I also really tried to set rules and, and moderate my drinking and just try to keep it in controlled levels, like two drinks per day, which was always pretty much impossible for me to do once I started. I did try to go to programs like AA... At the time, I went to only two meetings because the one in my town, um, I was a girl in my mid-20s and most everyone there was older men in their 50s and 60s, kind of rough people. And so I was like, ah, this isn't for me. But I was constantly reading literature and watching talks online and going to different workshops like personal development workshops and things like that. Before I really had my own faith, this was before I um, developed faith uh, that I have now, I was just really seeking lots of external community and support and then also just trying to really be more disciplined uh, with my drinking. But none of that really worked long term. I imagine that each time you failed at just using your own self-discipline to stop, you would probably be finding comfort in the alcohol, the very thing that you were trying to quit. Oh, spot on. Yeah. It was like whenever I would try to take breaks from alcohol, it was like me having an itch that I was not allowed to scratch. And it was just like, okay, how long can I go without scratching this itch? And then when I would just feel so exhausted and not have any willpower left, you know, one little thing could just set me off, whether it was a a comment my coworker made or just a stressful day or even a good day, I would just be like, forget it. I'm going to go ahead and drink. Those first few drinks were just like the relief that I was looking for. But then of course, the next day, 
there would always be regret and things like that. But it's really this vicious cycle because the alcohol kind of relieves that craving and that desire we have for it temporarily, but then it always comes back again the next day. And it's, it's so hard to get out of that. I mentioned in the introduction that for some people, alcohol can be a problem and yet they're able to hide it. And those around them don't realize how big the problem is. And for others, it's just very obvious. Where did you sit on that? Did your family, did your friends know what you were going through at the time? They did to some extent. You know, there was a period of time where my family, I I live in a different state, so it's about a 10-hour drive from my family. Several members of my family came down and tried to kind of stage an intervention, if you will. They were concerned I was drinking too much. However, I come from a family of heavy drinkers, so I think they were drinking a lot as well at the time, but maybe I was living a more destructive life. They were aware of that, um, and they did try to do an intervention, and it was extremely unsuccessful. I actually ended up not talking to them for a year after that, which is another story. But they were aware of it. Then as I got older, because it did continue on into my late 20s, and I, I got help with this treatment right around the age of 30. I did start to become more sophisticated about it and conceal it more and kind of maybe go out to parties and I would get really drunk sometimes and it'd be really obvious, but other times I would be able to hide it and come home and have a bottle of wine that I drink to myself after, you know, my husband went to bed. I think some people could tell because, you know, they just could see how much alcohol I could hold, but I was, you know, a a functioning person. I had a job and things like that, but I did conceal it for the most part. And maybe in hindsight, I don't think I did a great job. I think it was more obvious than I thought, but concealed it enough to where, you know, it wasn't wreaking havoc in my personal or professional life. There are many drugs that we just see someone who's partaking in that and we think that's the wrong thing to do. And yet we see alcohol as being a very socially acceptable drug. And you mentioned there how people could see how much alcohol you could hold. And And rather than that being a flag for some people, that's a badge of honor. It's like, oh, she holds her alcohol well. And people can see that as a strength rather than the weakness that it had become for you. How much does that play into people becoming dependent on alcohol? The fact that our cultures actually celebrate drinking and in fact, celebrate drinking to excess. Oh my gosh, that is spot on how you phrase that. And it's so true, especially in my family. You know, I have Irish roots. And so being able to, you know, stay up all night and take whiskey shots, it's just like, if you can do that, it's like, wow, you're super tough. And it's something that's really glorified in a way. And not to mention that, like, during my heavy drinking period, it was really easy for me to have friends and associate with people who were also heavy drinkers. And in fact, I really only liked to hang out with people if I knew that they were going to drink like I did. It was this really confusing place because I would, you know, sign up for 5k runs that are like, okay, that's healthy. You're going on a run on a Saturday morning, but it would be the ones that like served unlimited beer at the end. And so I'd do this jog, usually hungover, and then I would get drunk at the end of it having alcohol really intertwined into every single aspect of our culture, even the job I had at the time had a beer keg that they would bring out on Fridays and we're always going to happy hours. And so I had this real internal conflict of like, this is one thing that like socially is so acceptable and we use it to celebrate. Yet there's this very dark side where I was drinking to excess pretty much seven days a week, hungover, so much shame, guilt, anxiety, driving while drinking, getting pulled over, almost getting a DUI, doing things I don't remember because I was blacked out and all of this dark side of it. So I was like, 
do I have a drinking problem? Like it's normal, you know, they're drinking like that too. And it's just this real internal conflict that I think a lot of Americans and really people around the world struggle with. And, and they're in that questioning place and, and wondering, you know, do I have a drinking problem? And I suppose that that is one of the things that exacerbates it because people can have a drinking problem for so long before recognizing it as such, because up to a certain point, it's just fitting in with the culture. And as you say, you were drinking and, and it wasn't until you finally challenged yourself on that beach that you started to realize something is not quite right. So I imagine there are many people that have a problem with alcohol, but they don't yet see it as such. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to be honest, like I think part of the challenge too for me and what I see with others, and I know we're going to talk more about the treatment that I use that finally freed me from it. But when I was addicted to alcohol, you know, even though it was very destructive for me, the thought of never drinking again was terrifying for me. And I would be super gung-ho and committed on, you know, day one or day two or day three of like, I'm not drinking anymore. But then the craving would come back and I would imagine this life without alcohol, never being able to touch it again. And that was terrifying for me. And I, I hear the same for others where the thought of being abstinent forever and not being able to drink alcohol again is scary. So I think for me, it kind of kept me stuck where I was for a long time because I thought that the only option available was total and complete abstinence, like going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I think that's a great program. My dad is over 30 years sober because of it, but I knew it wasn't for me. And I'm, what I'm learning is that it's not for a lot of other people as well, because there's a lot of people, especially if you put them in maybe a gray area drinker category where they're functioning in life, but they're drinking a bottle or two of wine every night. Those are kind of people that perhaps want to at least start by, okay, I want to cut back. I want to have two glasses of wine a couple nights a week and not more than that. But it's really hard to do that once you are in the place of alcohol use disorder. It's hard to kind of reverse back until I learned about this treatment that I used that allowed me to do that. And even before you found that treatment, which, as you say, we certainly want to discuss, you say that you found faith. Tell me about that journey for you. I actually came to the faith after the treatment, after I had actually gone through it and gotten over my alcohol addiction. This treatment allowed me to kind of start by reducing my drinking, and I was drinking moderately for about the course of one year and ended up going alcohol-free completely through this treatment sort of by accident because I just got to a place of really being uninterested in alcohol, which is so funny because it was like just impossible for me to even go a couple of days without drinking, let alone now it's been about five years. After getting sober, I actually for the first time in my life like started to think about, is there a God? Before that, I was very much into like the new age belief system, if you will, where I kind of believed I was God and I was going to reincarnate and just like out there stuff <laughs> that I believe for a long time. And I remember just for like six months, I, I considered myself spiritual. And for six months, I kept getting this thought, if you're so spiritual, you should read a Bible. Like that's the most spiritual book that exists. And I kept delaying it or ignoring it and not buying a Bible. One day, I actually kind of felt frustrated because I'd been seeing some scriptures posted on my Facebook from some Christian friends of mine and just seeing all these like scriptures and people talking about Jesus. And I was like, ah, why are all these people so obsessed with Jesus? Like, I remember praying one day and being like, Jesus, if you're the who the Bible says you are, like, just show me. And I was kind of praying from this place of like, you know, wanting to prove everyone else wrong in a way, but I was sincere in my prayer. And it was really the first time I had ever prayed because in, in the new age, I really believed in just manifestation and like 
it's not about a humble heart of prayer. It's more about like, what can I attract in, in my life? So I prayed and then within like 24 hours, it's as if like the scales were lifted from my eyes and I could see that what I'd been doing with my life, like with tarot cards and psychics and new agey type practices, those things were not of God. And he just showed me so clearly that's when I fell on my face and was just weeping and really started to follow Jesus. And that was about three and a half years ago now. And I've just been a devoted follower ever since. Tell me about the treatment that you discovered, because as you say, you tried at least for a couple of meetings to go to AA. And there are various other programs that are available that, as you suggest, work for some people, but it's not for everyone. But you found something that has been very effective for you. Tell me about that. The treatment that I used and that was the thing that finally actually worked for me is actually a decades-old science-based treatment that's been researched since the 90s with a clinically proven 78% success rate that actually helps the alcohol addiction be unlearned neurologically. What the researcher, his name was Dr. David Sinclair, what he discovered in his research that was done first on rats and then in humans, the research was done in Finland, was that alcohol addiction is actually a learned behavior. People aren't born alcoholics. It's something that is essentially developed over time with repeated drinking. And some people have genetics uh, like I did, where maybe I was more sensitive to developing an alcohol addiction. But his research showed that really it can happen to anyone with enough repeated drinking because alcohol is rewarding for the brain. And so with this treatment, there's actually a medicine that's available in most parts of the world. It's a generic medicine. It's non-addictive. It's very cheap. It's called naltrexone. And this medicine is taken one hour before drinking. So that's something that was so unique about this treatment is that it didn't require me to abstain from drinking. The whole goal was to start it while I was still drinking in order to get on the path to reduction of alcohol. And so I started it and it was really miraculous, honestly, like within the first week on the treatment, I had an alcohol free day, which was really difficult for me to do. Generally, I was drinking seven days a week and it wasn't that hard. I just didn't really feel like drinking continued on the treatment. I, I did it for a year. And over that year, my drinking just continued to reduce more and more and more and got to a point where, you know, I was drinking one or two glasses of wine once or twice a month. That was all I wanted to drink. And I maintained that level for a few months. I kind of went alcohol-free by accident where after a little over a, a year on the treatment, I just really was so uninterested in alcohol and had no desire for drinking that I decided, okay, I, I guess I'm not going to drink anymore. And that was about five years ago now. And I think one of the greatest things about this protocol for me is that the results were permanent. Like the, the medicine is only taken one hour before drinking. And so the longer I was using it, I was taking the medicine and drinking maybe once or twice a month. And then now it's been over five years and I don't have any cravings for alcohol. I don't have any triggers or desire for alcohol. People can be drinking the best champagne around me and I have no emotion or no desire to have it. I feel, and this is what the researcher said who discovered this treatment. It's like your brain gets restored back to the state it was in before the addiction ever set in place. So I feel as if like the addiction was reversed from my brain essentially. And so it's it's an incredibly powerful science-based protocol that's been around for decades. Unfortunately, there, there's a really little awareness about it. And there's a few reasons for that. But since it freed me from it, I've really been inspired just to advocate and tell others about it. 
One of the criticisms of using naltrexone is that you have to be very vigilant in in using the tablet an hour before you start drinking. And people would say, well, someone who has an alcohol addiction, they're not going to be doing that. And yet what you're saying is it's not just the taking the tablet, but there's the support that goes along with it that helps those people who are facing an addiction to alcohol. There's actually a book that really dives into all of the research behind this treatment. It's written by a man named Dr. Roy Escapa. But in the book, just to kind of address your first question, because that is a question I get a lot, is like, yeah, right, an alcoholic's not going to take a pill before drinking. But in his research, it it showed that actually about 85% of the people complied with taking the medicine. In my experience personally with it, and then as a coach as well, I would say the, the majority of people it's a non-issue for them because so many people start this treatment just wanting to put this issue behind them. What we often say to people is that the protocol and the medicine is half the equation. Like I genuinely uh, attribute my sobriety today and being able to become a quote unquote normal drinker to this medication. Like I, I tried for years before and, and nothing worked. My drinking just got worse. There's also a behavioral component to it where People perhaps have been relying on alcohol to cope for years or decades, or like me, it was my habit for nearly 10 years. Every night I was I was drinking in the evenings, and that's a very ingrained habit. Even with the medicine, I had to find other ways to spend my time and really find other healthier coping tools. So that's where the other side of the treatment comes in, and, and also to help with compliance and encouragement for that as well, for people to just stick with it. It's not an overnight fix. Many people will see pretty significant changes in the first month. But for most of us, it takes several months, um, maybe even longer to kind of gradually unlearn the patterns of alcohol use disorder and and change our our habits and behaviors around it as well. And as you say, it has a a 78% success rate, which of course means that there are some people who are not going to get clean by using this treatment. And some would use that as a criticism. And yet 78%, that's a fairly high percentage. And I guess that's where you would say, hey, look, there are other methods that people can try if this one is not for them, but this one is showing a very high success rate. So it's a matter of finding what is going to work for the person. And this is one of those that has a very high probability of working. Yeah, I mean, especially in the, you know, kind of existing treatment system of what's been done over the last century or so, it's actually estimated to have a a really high failure rate or relapse rate. There was one study I was reading where it, it said that they recognize that alcoholism is a, is a chronic relapsing condition where 80% or more of people relapse within six months of leaving treatment. So it's interesting that the success rate is 80% and then the relapse rate in traditional treatment is around 80%. With the Sinclair method and naltrexone, it's not going to work for everyone. And um, again, kind of referencing the book that dives into all the research, The Cure for Alcoholism, it talks about you know the 22% it it doesn't work for or that it didn't work for in the trials, a percentage of those were actually people who weren't compliant. So back to your original kind of point about people not taking the medicine. So partially it's not working because people perhaps aren't following the protocol. There's a lot of really exciting advances being done with science and medicine with regards to treating alcohol addiction. And there's other 
uh, medications that are really showing a lot of promise and other kind of alternative treatments, which I can't personally speak to, but I just know that there's other modalities out there. So I would say if someone's struggling and they you know, want to try naltrexone, I think it's a really powerful treatment. It's got so much re- research behind it. If you're interested in the science, you can just look into some of these papers on naltrexone for alcohol, but to also consider other treatments like abstinence and just white knuckling it isn't, isn't the only option if that's something that's not working for somebody. And the suggestion there is really coming back to that whole point that the medication on its own won't help. You need to be a part of a group that is actually supporting you through this and helping you through this. And I know that that's really what you're advocating. It's so important, I I do believe, too, because alcohol use disorder is such an isolating condition. And sometimes when we even start on the medication treatment protocol, there's a lot to unpack and a lot to uncover. And I think for some people, if they're struggling with this and and their loved ones, even if they're well-intended, if they don't understand alcohol use disorder and what it's like to kind of cope with it and to really overcome it through a treatment that seems illogical because you're still drinking, it can be really hard to kind of see progress. And so what I hear all of the time from people is just how valuable it is to connect with others who are in the middle of it or going through it or have gone through it. And they can provide that source of encouragement and support and also just specific instruction on what to expect, the different phases of the method, how to change habits and and find different coping tools as well. So I definitely encourage someone if they're considering medicine that recognize it's kind of half the, half the equation, if you will, and that the support side and really viewing it as a treatment protocol is the other half. You mentioned coming to faith sometime after going through the treatment. And I know that you've found since that alcohol is something that doesn't discriminate and that there are many Christians people who truly love the Lord, who are struggling with alcohol. And I imagine for them, there's even a greater level of shame. Are you able to help some of these people who are following Jesus and yet still have this issue with alcohol? Yes, we have an online program that supports people through the treatment and we have a Christian component inside of it where we have like a dedicated group and live group support and Christian content to to support those people. And of course, we have non-believers in our program as well. So it's optional. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting how many people have said that this is an answer to prayer, that they've tried so many other things and they feel like God has led them to this treatment, which I think that's something... I haven't just heard that once. I hear it on maybe at least a monthly basis from people. And so I think it's really powerful to hear that testimony. And also I've heard from Christians who some of them, the kind of consistent feedback I've heard is that they struggle to go to programs like AA for the fact that what I've heard is that, you know, anything can be your God there. And so if they're sitting next to someone who's worshiping the chair in front of them, they're like, well, that's not really aligned with my faith in the Christian God. So that is a challenge. And then also I think just again, the more feedback I've gotten, and I I don't think it's not to say anything bad about pastors at all. I think when you don't know what it's like to go through an alcohol addiction, you don't really know how to handle it. Like I wouldn't know how to help someone with an opiate addiction. I just, I don't know about that. I didn't walk that path myself personally, but alcohol, I know it very intimately. And so when people turn to their pastors for help and the pastor's advice is to pray or just quit drinking, and I I believe God can supernaturally heal and remove that from people, He's sovereign. And so why he doesn't with some, I have no idea. But I think um, sometimes people 
even when they turn to their church or their pastor, they're not getting the adequate support for it, or they might feel like they're getting judged or, or ridiculed. That's like an area where I really have a heart to serve people that, you know, just letting the love of God transform them and let the Holy Spirit do the the changing within them. Um, but also, you know, using this evidence-based treatment alongside. I know that the treatment will look different in different parts of the world, but it is widely available in many countries around the world. So I suppose that the first step for many people, if they're saying, this is something that I need to know more about, is to to get in touch with you, to jump onto your website and learn about it, and then find a way to see that happen wherever they are in the world. If that's the case for someone and they're wanting to get in touch with you or to find out even more about it, maybe for a loved one, what's the best place to find you? On our website, it's just thrivealcoholrecovery.com. And our contact information is on there. We have a lot of just general information about the treatment protocol, about our program. We have a lot of free resources, like a video course talking about what is the method and things to know and mistakes people make. So there's a lot of resources people can look into for free. And then if they want to contact us, can at least point them in the right direction. Of course, if they're ready to get started, our program is available to support as well. Katie, it has been a delight to speak to you, to hear of your story of being able to get rid of that alcohol addiction that you've had, that alcohol use disorder that so controlled your life, which now has no place in it, and your opportunity to share that with many other people and see a lot of other people be freed from it. I want to thank you for sharing that story and thank you for your time on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you so much for having me, Ronnie. Great conversation. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.